You violated the law. It's the full preview podcast, UFC 276. This is Dan Albert and Fenyo Sky of the Fight Site. We're returning for another preview pod. You may be asking, where the fuck were you two last month? Rather, where the fuck were you, Dan? I have this thing called a real-life job, and uh, honestly, sometimes it, they just give me a hell week. I apologize that wasn't able to be there. I know Fenyo did a short last-minute recording. Um, but once again, I apologize we weren't able to be there. Um, but we're here now, and... Um, Man, this is a pretty darn good card, top to bottom. Um, Fenyo, how are you? I'm alive, I'm here, and yes, this card is actually very good. Uh, so, so yeah, in researching for this one wasn't as much suffering as other ones. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm but, pretty pleased with this one. But rest assured, we do have some grievances. We'll get to them in due time. Um, nonetheless, uh, this is... Uh, a fantastic card, and, well, I mean, everyone has, like, the one fight they're very excited for that everyone's excited for towards the very top, but we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, but from the top to bottom, these are some pretty well-matched fights, and it actually only gets better as it goes, to be honest. So, without further ado, I think we can start using a topology as usual as our reference. Uh, at the very bottom, we have a women's... Um, Bantamweight bout between Jessica Rose Clark and Jolija uh, Stolherenko. And um, Fenyo, I'll let you take this one off. So, Bantamweight, the girls, uh, we have... Um, let's begin with Stolherenko. Um, I think she wants to get takedowns. She's like a jiu-jitsu player and she's like active from the clinch. I'm not sure if she has like any like judo experience, but it seems because she's pretty okay at fighting grips uh, on open space. The problem is that she's a bit undersized for the for the weight class, and she's not good against the cage. Like it's very easy to to just be physical against her, being her against the cage, and then she doesn't have the footwork on the clinch. Uh, you can just use like head position. Um, she had the same instincts. On the uh, to counter and to move her head on the feet, she's not lost there. But the problem is that she ends up on the on the clinch the whole time because she doesn't have a process. Uh, Jesse Jess, on the other hand, um, she also likes to spend a lot of time on the clinch, but she has a better process. And she and I feel like she will be the one pushing uh, Soliarenko against the cage. She actively looks for takedowns, and she has like a the very decent timing, changing levels. The thing with the problem with Jesse is that. She's not very good at finishing takedowns with the initial shots, so she ends up on the clinch against the cage. Uh, she might be, she might, she that might play in her favor on this matchup. On the feet, she has decent fundamentals. Uh, she can put stuff together, but she's not comfortable. She's not comfortable exchanging. So I think that's where Soliarenko will have some some chances to shine. I mean. She, I mean, Stoyarenko might get something done on the clinch if she if she gets uh, crafty with the footwork. An open space, Stoyarenko is probably the the harder and more organic puncher, even though Jesse has uh, a better process. What do you think, Dan? 
I, I generally agree with all that. I, I don't have much else to say about um, um, either, but I, I will point out a couple of things as far as uh, individual fighters. I think the dynamic you've covered pretty well. So for Ro for uh, Jessica Rose Clark, the main thing that I've seen is, yes, she will look for like takedowns off of the body lock, typically. She has some good instincts with like baiting punches or exchanges on purpose is to reactively shoot in for the body lock or underhooks off of that. The the problem is because she tends to shoot up so high, she often ends up in those clinch grinding situations against the cage anyways. That's kind of one of the general issues of her game. But she's pretty strong, and she can usually um, get lesser uh, takedown defense opponents kind of on their backs pretty easily. Um, Stoliarenko, her, her biggest problem is like, she she's very aggressive off of her back, but she gets taken down so so easily. And, and once again, the biggest reason for that is because, well, she she tries to operate behind a jab, but she has no sense of where she is in the cage at all. All and, and will sometimes back up on purpose. So against someone who can operate decently against the cage, like Rose Clark, who seems to be a little more comfortable with her process, it's hard to pick against Rose Clark in this one. Yeah, another the other thing is that Rose Clark is like pretty decent from top position. She she has good fundamentals. So uh, if Stoliarenko doesn't get like an armbar like pretty quick, I think uh, Rose Clark will have no no problem like just staying on top for the whole fight. If they're if they're stuck on the feet, um, it gets a bit closer because I think Clark has the the better process as I said. She puts together combinations better, but I think Stoliarenko has a better feel for the striking. If you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Either way, I I think the safe bet is just yes by unanimous decision. Likewise, yeah, I I think like um, Stoliarenko might surprise a little bit off her back, but there's not really not really too much to really indicate that really because so yeah, I'd say decision. Who knows. Um, that leads us to one of the people's main events on this card. <laughs> um, Fenyo knows what's coming. He is very excited for this. So, um, women's flyweight, Jessica I, th- the bulletproof woman herself, is taking on <laughs> Macy Barber, who is quote known as the future. And, um, many of you have been wondering what day are Fenyo and Dan going to finally talk about Jessica I's process? Well, guess what, fuckers? That day is today. So, what Jessica I, um, interestingly, I does have a process. I loves to use her jab. She will play around with rhythm a lot with it. She likes to throw out lots of throwaways is and bait responses from you. She does like to play with some kicks at distance to kind of pressure you back or set up a right hand. And she's dogged. She cons- she's consistent and she tries. But... And there's always a huge butt. I don't know for those of you who've ever watched a Jessica I fight before, but they are immensely boring and insanely frustrating to watch. For a reason you may not suspect. The only punch I will literally throw the same combinations of jabs over and over and over again. It's always like three touches and then like maybe a little harder one, but it's always that amount. She's always tapping with it. Now, why is... But that's not the most peculiar thing about Jessica I's jab, ladies and gents. No, the most curious thing, and credit to our friends out at the Forbidden Technique podcast for pointing this out to me, 
Because now I will not be able to unsee it, and neither will you. And you know, is literally how I jabs is she extends her forearm out like she's trying to stiff arm someone. That is when she when you're supposed to jab, you're supposed to turn your wrist wrist and like forearm kind of outward, like kind of a corkscrew. That is not what I is doing. She is like raising her arm like straight up in front of her. Like it's you raise your fist and then you just shoot it out. That is what I is doing. And so what literally ends up happening is she becomes harder to cross counter because she stands up so tall, but her jab is so mechanically awful that it like does almost nothing half the time. And if if you're wondering, is it still bad? Yes, but it is better than it was five years ago. It is absolutely hysterical. And that is the Jessica I dissertation for everyone who was wondering. <laughs> So I'm going to let Fanyo talk about Macy Barber and why Macy Barber is probably going to get her ass kicked. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, to add a little bit of things about I, as you said, um, she's, um, mechanically the job is not great, but, but she understands how to use it. Yes. The problem with I, I think the biggest problem is that um, unless she's baiting uh, counters with the jab, and she's pretty okay with that, uh, when she takes the initiative, she tends to be very rote. Um, she tends to, as you said, to do the same combinations over and over again. I think um, I has trouble um, that she over-focuses in some ideas and has uh, a, a bit of trouble adapting. And I think that makes uh, a very interesting uh a very interesting contrast with Barber because Barber is very unstructured. Um, she has like a bad sense of distance and open space. Um, doesn't have like very good connection between faces. I mean, I mean by design. I mean she doesn't. She doesn't have like strikes that move uh, her into the takedowns or or into the clinch. But but she's also like a very like she has very good feeling for fighting. She might not have the connective tissue, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, she can improvise in the in between spaces. She's very good at landing, for example, strikes uh, on the breaks during the clinches. She's very physically gifted. She's strong. She's fast. Um, not the most coordinated, but she can still put power on her stuff. And on now, especially as she gets older, she's more reliant on being like a fighter that does things well, even though she has as as we've been saying, uh, some technical uh, defects. Uh, I think I has a very, a very well put together game. She's solid everywhere. She doesn't have like very glaring holes. Um, she can strike. She can clinch. She can wrestle. She can do it all. Um, not to a very high level, but but you you know that being like a, a jack of all trades uh, campaign. Let, let's MMA. put it this way: I's kind of a doer in context of this division. She's very average. But she does just about everything, and at least somewhat decently, and that's kind of the nicest thing you can say about I, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that uh, the problem and the good thing about I is that she does she does know how to do everything. She has trouble doing the right thing, you know. Yep. Like, like in most fights, because I so well rounded, she has like a very clear advantage in in some area of the fight. But she has trouble, like, understanding that she has to take the fight there. She mm-hmm. gets lost on her own ideas. Barbara, on the other hand, is like... She's, like, improvising the whole time, but she has a very good feel of what to do to hurt the opponent. And I think uh, 
I will probably just like walk behind her jab and kick Barber's ass for most of the fight. And then I think I think Barber will figure something out because I is getting slower. I should used to be a very decent athlete, but I think she's starting to to get a, a little bit on the slower side to the uh, in comparison to the division nowadays. She doesn't have as much pop on her hands anymore. And and yeah, Barber is Barber is like kind of bad, but also like very talented and dynamic. And I think sometimes that's enough to to be like a structured fighter that it's not very good at making adjustments. What do you think, Dan? Um, Barber, yeah, I think unstructured's the word for Barber. Like, the, her striking is kind of non-existent. She's very overhand, kind of overextension based when she throws, as in she doesn't really have a good read on it on distance. But where she really shines is kind of when you're up close and physical in the clinch or, like, wrestling. You can tell she really pushes for that. It's kind of a natural feel for her. But get, getting there is kind of the problem for Barber because she kind of wanders like a deer at, ear out in the road, kind of otherwise. And it, it's kind of worrying because against a more processed fighter like I, it's kind of, so how do I get there? And, and when I'm there, will I be able to push this? And who's to say I, who's at the very least so well-rounded enough that she can fight in the clinch, might just be a little overwhelmed by Barber's, like, physicality. But at the same time, I wouldn't put it past, like, Barber to kind of get sh shoved off and then just kind of walk down and then hit by 10,000 air jabs and then one random hard jab. <laughs> and then occasionally front-kicked. So that front kick, kinda, that front kick mechanically is pretty good. Actually, actually I yeah, should should use it more. Actually, she really should because like she does have a good knack for like reading when to use it. That's like the one thing. It's like, oh, I can't hit you with a jab. Hey, I'll hit you with a front kick. We are being too nice to ice, so we probably need to end this quickly. Yeah, I think I'm not so worried about I stay uh, spending time on the clinch. I mean, she's still pretty strong. I okay. think the. The biggest danger for I is when she stay way too long in the pocket, and it's not that it's not that Barber has like any any craft inside the pocket, but sh she can swing hands very hard, mm -hmm. and and that's not good for not good news for I. I think I sh for sure has a path to win a unanimous decision on this one, but I don't know. I I'm feeling like Barber will figure something out despite losing most of the fight. And she will either like win because she has the biggest moments or she gets the finish. What do you think? I um I, I tend to go with like more proven process here, so I kinda lean I a little bit because I feel like I, I feel like just for me speaking from my own perspective, kind of need to see more unstructured kind of success from Barber as opposed to like just kind of picking something on a whim, which is I'm here. So I, I'll lean I buy another boring IS yeah. decision. I mean, if if you want to make a parallel, this is like a a more forgiving on the physical side version of the of the Grasso fight. But on the other hand, I think uh, I's process is more solid in the in the sense that. She's more willing to pressure than Grasso that sometimes like just put the foot off the gas and let people back into fights. And that's what she did against uh, Barber. And that's why Barber started started winning the fight like in the last like a minute, I think. It wasn't like big success, but you can tell that Grasso lost the 
lost the control of the fight because she allowed uh, Barber to just like do her her athlete bullshit. I think Ice process is better well suited to deal with that, but at the same time, um, Ice not the level of athlete that Grasso is and doesn't have the the pop to scare him to scare her. But yeah, I mean, it's either I by decision or Barber like just bullshit something with her power. Yeah. yeah, and who knows? It's not a fight worth picking anyways. So, uh, I mean, it was the for sure it was the worst fight to research, but uh-huh. but but I actually but to give props where where they where they are due, I think this good. This is good matchmaking. Yeah. And we also deserve props because now you have an official record of the Jessica I dissertation, and <laughs> and you can't say we did not do our homework. Exactly. All right. So, so moving, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Uh, middleweights. Uh, Uriah Hall takes on Andre Munez, and uh, this one's kind of weird for me because, like, I I know we've been talking like outside, and what we've kind of figured is middleweight is kind of a division of well, no pun intended but actually intended mid fighters you know and but each mid fighter at kind of middleweight kind of has a weird gimmick and hall himself like has struck me as a guy who's trying to go for like the anderson silva archetype which is why i think parallels have always been made but the thing is hall is so inconsistent about things it's for me my my guesswork on hall kind of um is that I think there's some process when he gets his range finding going behind his jab, but then he'll just stop and just, um, I'm suspecting it's kind of an initial problem. Like he will use a jab, but he doesn't exactly know what the ancillary tools are behind a jab uh, often to take advantage of it. And that's kind of why he's never been able to like push that far, but he's still a pretty good athlete and a hell of a hitter. It's just, those limitations mean he gets beaten up by guys who are much better than him. Um, Muno Munez is interesting uh, in that you can tell he like really pushes for his one advantage, which is his wrestling and grappling. So he's not great on the back foot on the feet, and his striking's a bit inconsistent with like what he's doing. But you can tell he loves to go for like the reactive body lock. And on the f- ground, he's definitely very dangerous in submissions. I mean, um, he tapped Jacare recently. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's very short Jacare, but but it's even still if, it's still Jacare. It's still Jacare doing jujitsu. So, so yeah, my my read on this one is that is that yeah, I mean, Hall has a, a very he's very solid behind the jab. I mean, uh, unlike unlike I. The, the mechanics on Hall's jab are very good. He uh-huh. puts a lot of power yep. on that. Very good pop. And and he can actually pivot off the jab because he has good mechanics with it. So, so w- while he's jabbing, he looks great. The problem, and, and he can also like like hook off the jab. I mean, not, not hook off the jab, but play play the chain jab of the, of the hook and the jab. He can put the right hand behind it and has a lot of power with the right hand. Uh, one big problem that Hall has is that um, when he starts like going forward, he squares up his hips very badly. Oh, yep, uh, yep. So uh, she, she, uh, he would be wise to like just uh, just keep distance on this one. Like if he sees the finish, unless Muniz is like very very hurt, um, I would say just keep using the jab from distance. Um, 
but and, and also like Hulk, uh, when he's getting pressure, he tends to fall apart. But he's still dangerous, especially if you are like throwing lazy jabs. He has a very good cross counter. Um, another problem for Hall is that very mediocre defending takedowns against defense. He's very good out in the open. Very good sprawl. He has good uh, the good footwork to pivot out of takedowns. Against the cage, he just gets lazy and people like just change levels, grab a double leg and put him on his ass. Uh, Muniz, on the other hand, um, one thing that plays well for Hall is that he doesn't his he doesn't move his head a lot, um, and he's very willing to counter. That probably plays uh, on Hall's favor here because. The chin is there for the taking. But Muniz is still a very good athlete. He's fast, he's dynamic, he kicks very hard especially. And the and the quick the level changes are very quick. They are very quick. Uh but I think Hall will not have trouble defending takedowns unless uh, he does the squaring up that I said. And then uh, Muniz will have a very easy takedown, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the ground, like, Muniz is, like, all about the armbar. Like, he can armbar from the back take, from from the back. He's very dangerous. And I'm sure he has other submissions, too. Uh, I saw going for a guillotine failing, but he got the armbar immediately after that, after failing that. So, who knows? Um, we've seen Muniz being controlled on the ground, I think, against Ahoyo. Um, so, and Hall is very patient on the ground. I think... Um, We've seen Hall like being defensively responsible on the ground against like Cara de Zapato and against Musashi, but I think Muniz is like a different kind of grappler in the sense that he's a lot, a lot more like, uh, he's more, he's faster, he's more, uh, he's more of a risk taker, and I don't think Hall will like that because he likes to slow down the the grappling. So, what's your final read on this one? I, I don't know. Like you said, it's kind of based upon Hall, and Hall is always inconsistent for me, so I never really feel like I have a clean read on him. Moon is, I definitely haven't watched enough either, so I would I take my pick here with an enormous grain of salt, but I'll take, um... I'll, I'll assume there's a point when Moon is probably is able to get Hall down and maybe, like, get him in a tap, maybe in round two or something. Maybe until then it's a little truck difficult for him but i don't know kind of a weird fight yeah i think i think uh, i would be a lot more confident in hold jamming his face if it wasn't for the fact that Muniz is a southpaw and hold did not look comfortable jabbing jotko that is like the only southpaw that he has faced lately um i don't remember if strickland went a lot of with southpaw but the Strickland was rough for Hall because he's a guy that can jab with him. Um, yep. Muniz is not that, but but yeah, I think I think Hall has the tools. But I think the fact that that Muniz is southpaw and he's not like a pressure guy, but he's a a pace guy, and that can that will bother Hall for sure. I think also I also think that Muniz eventually finds something, gets gets it to the ground, and. And he's he's just been proving to be too dangerous there to trust Hall to to escape this time. I think Moon is by submission is the mm-hmm. is the pick. Okay. Yeah. So yep, with that I'd say I agree. Um middleweight again is our next fight, uh, between Brad Tavares and Durskis Duplessis. Um so my 
My t my question to you in private was, I was trying to figure out what the hell Brad Tavares' deal was, and I've come up with two things. So, Tavares basically seems like kind of your quintessential middleweight. Like, he's decent with everything he does, like, mechanically. But two things stand out, like um, his timing on the straight right and his emphasis upon hitting guys with it on the counter, and him being ludicrously hard to take down, being the other thing. Um, now, here his opponent is Driscus uh, Duplessis, and Duplessis is a really, really active fainter, er, er, and works behind a pretty stiff, like, high guard, but you can tell, like, Duplessis doesn't really have a lot of idea of where he's working in the cage, he's just working a lot to kind of, like, throw opponents off with the feints, but you can tell when Duplessis throws, he throws pretty hard. However, every single time he steps in, I have seen guys counter him with that straight all day long. And having said that, although Duplessis can really surprise people with his speed, him being open on the counter kind of makes me think he's going to have some issues against Tavares here. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tavares is like a meat and potato striker. He works behind the jab and the low kicks, and as you said, like, very decent at countering. Especially if you, like... Like throw a big, a big like right hand or a big kick against him. He has very, very solid like knack for the counter there. Um, the, the takedown defense, like I, I'm not sure the places can get takedowns on this one. And he likes the takedowns. He's very decent from top position. Uh, the places on the other hand, like a lot of naked kicks. He faints a lot, but most of his offense uh, out on open space is either like the naked kicks or those like beat or, beat or bell for like blitzes with the one twos that are very bad to be honest. Uh, Duplessis where is he is at his most dangerous when he's covering up and waiting for the counter. He has very good feel for that mm -hmm. and he can throw with both hands and that's that's what makes him uh, very dangerous. Uh, but I think uh, and Tavares has been caught uh, in the counter with by dynamic strikers, but I don't know. I mean, Duplessis like looks a bit lost when when someone puts a process on him, and and Tavares I think uh, will not make the stupid mistake that, for example, like like Trevin Giles, your favorite fighter, did. <laughs> so uh, yes. so yeah, I mean. Duplessis has the power to to change the, any fight at any moment, um, and Tavares is not perfect when he's leading. He he can be countered, but I I gotta go with Tavares here. I think he's disciplined enough and tough enough to mm -hmm. to just make his usual game work on this one. Yep, I agree. I, I'm picking Tavares by decision. I will too. Yeah, I think he'll he might hurt Duplessis at one point with a counter, but. I, I think this probably promises to be another Tavares-esque fight, you know? Yeah. Okay, so the next one is Welterweight. We have Ian Gary, our favorite, returning again, <laughs> fighting Gabe Green. And um, so I think G Ian Gary and his last fight uh, against Darian Weeks, we kind of thought... Or at least I thought experience was going to be a bit of a problem against uh, Darian Weeks. Um, because of all the issues I'll mention in a second with um, Gary. But the thing is, um, to Gary's credit, I saw some improvements off of his feints and rangefinders off the back foot. He's, his cagecraft is still a horrible, horrible problem. 
and getting backed up consistently. And I think his feints and like looks off the jab were enough to make Weeks a little hesitant. But it's kind of hard to get a lot of reads from that fight that kind of fix some of the problems with Gary. So Gary really is at his best when he looks for transitions and grappling exchanges. But as a striker, it's kind of a work in progress. Like, it's a huge problem, especially when he's put on the back foot. And his footwork's kind of a mess. He'll cross his feet consistently. And his head off the center line is kind of hit or miss, especially. But you can tell he hits hard. He's attempting to try new things. It's kind of... It's kind of hard to really tell how good Gary is or how deep his toolbox is with that last fight. So, the good news is his next opponent is pretty aggressive. That's kind of what Gabe Green brings to the table. Oh, like, Gabe Green strikes me as someone who's all about his work rate, and his aggression is very, very prevalent. Uh, he really loves to throw out his jab as a feeler, but he'll often use the kind of the same pattern, touch, 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 and then rip consistently, but he really, really likes to feel his way in behind that jab. Uh, you can tell he likes to catch kicks and then step in when the opponent starts trying to push him back. The one thing about Green that might be a huge danger zone for him against Gary is that, well, Green's takedown defense from what I've seen isn't exactly the most stellar in the world. So it, it might be an interesting fight for Gary to kind of show off some new looks on the feet, see if he can handle a very aggressive opponent, but also like go to his like uh, more prevalent A game when things don't go his way. So, what do you think, Fenyo? Yeah, I mean, this is a this is very similar to this is like a harder version from Gary the, of his last fight. Uh, the thing is that Green is a lot more aggressive than than what was his name, the guy that Weeks. Oh, Weeks, yeah. Um, but they have like similar tool set is that Green likes to work a lot more with combinations and I think that's that's the biggest problem for Gary here. I think the UFC is clearly trying to give Gary another fighter than he can keep at range and outstrike, you know? With his lane and with the straight shots. Uh, but but I think I mean for sure Gary has a, a path to victory. I mean when when you allow him to do his stuff he gets to look good, you know? Like he strikes hard. Um, he, he has a good feeling for what strikes to use at one moment. Um, the jab is getting better too. But as you said, he kind of falls apart against the cage. I mean, sometimes he do the, the feint one way, circle the other one. But he can get predictable there. And in the pocket, like, you can tell he hits very hard. But, but he doesn't have, like, the tools for pocket boxing. Like, he doesn't move his head. He just mm -hmm. throws power. Uh, Green, I think it's a lot more comfortable there because he's more of a combination puncher, as you said. Um, especially if Green starts putting like the the pressure that he did on his last fight with the with the bodywork and the leg kicks, I think that will be bad news for for Gary. I think the UFC is setting Gary up here to win, giving him like a a harder but similar matchup than the one that we already saw him win. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, man. I, I like I like Green in this one. It, he he really has to put it together because Gary is a hard matchup. But I think he has the tools to... And he's a very good athlete. And I think um, Gary is like very used to being the athlete in the in the fights. And he's a very good athlete. They'll probably be like similarly strong and fast. 
But I think Green has like that more nasty power with the combinations, and if he starts like pushing Gary back, I think he can pull the he can pull off the offset on this one. Yeah. Um, I'm picking Green by finish on the second round here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a little torn because of that ground game, but I do think this is going to be probably the do or die fight for Gary at this point to really show like what else can you offer look wise on the feet. So. I'm worried about Gary's experience here against a, an opponent that aggressive. So yeah, I think I think Green's probably gonna finish him or at least win a decision as it goes longer. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of Gary, but if he wins this one, like that's impressive, you know, especially it, it for the win. for the experience. Yeah, it would be the the best win of his career. Uh, and yeah, I mean the the future when when Gary arrived to the UFC, I was pretty sure he was not ready. If he wins this one, I would say he's. He's like firmly UFC level at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good step for him at the very least. Each of the yeah, it's good matchmaking, and also like Green is a good fighter. If he wins this one, um, he gets the hype himself. I think that's good. Yeah. All right. So next fight is oh this this one got changed. I wasn't aware of this. So this one was originally Bobby Green, Jim Miller. It's now Cerrone, uh, Donald Cowboy yeah. Cerrone, Jim Miller. Okay, so I might be a little unprepared here. Um, yeah, was was Green Miller originally a lightweight? Um, yeah, I think this is Walter White because like Cerrone okay. is filling in late. Right, right. So, um, I I might have a little less to say than I would have wanted to, but um, yeah. So, anyways, uh, Donald Cerrone is on a big losing streak and is probably needs to have a retirement fight soon. Hopefully, this is the one. Jim Miller, um. I think on a few knockouts streak recently against like lower level opponents, but he's kind of nearing his last days as well. So kind of a question of like who's kind of done, but who, but this might be a good matchup, honestly, like where both guys are at because both guys are action fighters and they're kind of past their best. So it might be interesting to see how things play out. I mean, yeah, I mean, the first fight was very good. I mean, very easy win. Not not easy, but like very dominant performance by Cerrone. Um, Miller uh, might have like a, a better chance on this one because like Cerrone is slowing down. And Miller Miller's boxing has been looking pretty decent late on his career. And you know like Cerrone has been vulnerable to like the big southpaw puncher. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean Miller has a better chance on, on that front. But, and I think uh, a lot of people, uh, Miller is the favorite here because he's on the win streak, but he's been like, those la those last two knockouts has been, have been against like the lowest level of opposition that the UFC has to offer. And he still had to go through some hairy moments here and there. And Cerrone, on the other hand, um... I mean, he looked pretty bad on the Morono fight, but I think Cerrone like looked pretty decent against like Nico Price and Anthony Pettit on on the other two fights. I think he he looked pretty good on the on those ones. I mean, obviously he's not at his prime anymore; he's losing a big step. But Jim Miller is only like a year a year younger and has only two fights less. So yeah, um... yeah. I think the safe bet here is that Cerrone like puts together the same performance he did 
all those years ago. Jim Miller has a puncher's chance, um, but not not a lot other than that. Yes. I I don't see like Miller taking Cerrone down. Cerrone's wrestling is very solid. Yeah, and so, and if is if it's kick for kick, I'm picking Cerrone always. Yeah, like Miller can compete at range with his kicks, but the problem is he plods a lot, and that means he's very very open to kicks. He he's surprisingly good at closing range. Miller is. And he's competent on the ground, but like, if Cerrone works this at a kicking range and kind of a, is willing to shoot for reactive shots to kind of get advantage of this, that might make things a little tough for Miller. So, yeah, this might be a good old man action fight as long as it lasts. Or, um, but it kind of feels like Cerrone's kind of got the edge here, just if he still has anything in the tank left. Yeah, I mean, if, if Cerrone shows up like uh, like he did against uh, Anthony Pettis or or Nick Price. Price, yeah, I I, I have him. I have no reason to believe he doesn't like kicks Miller's ass as much as I would like Jim Miller to win this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't really feel like I have a confident read here, um, but I, I'll take Cerrone tentatively, maybe like. Just yeah, when it comes when it comes to fighters this old, uh, it's always a gamble. Like, you never know in what shape are they going to show. Sometimes they look great. Sometimes they look shot as fuck. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, you never know. It's it's show me what you got. But but if I if I have to make a pick, I'm picking Cerrone by a knockout on the second round. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take decision. I'll I'll say it goes the full three. Um, anything else we got to say about this one? No, let's move on to the next one. Um, and what a next one it is. This this is one of the fights of the card. Um, if this isn't the second best fight on the card, uh, this is a very close third. It is Brad Riddell is fighting Jalen Turner at 155. Fenyo, I'm going to let you lead off. Why does this fight fuck? Because these are two of the most exciting strikers in the whole division. In a division with a lot of exciting strikers. So we have Brad Riddell, um, the stocky striker, the, the former professional kickboxer. Um, very good. Uh, like He's calm. He makes very good reads, and he strikes very hard. Uh, very deep skill set. Um, defensively, not the greatest, but, but he can make adjustments. Uh, the thing with Riddell is that he has like a big hooks. Uh, he can hook from both stances pretty well, uh, too. Um, he can counter with round kicks. Countering off, ra- uh, countering with kicks is one one like thing that Riddle likes to do a lot. And then he can work the body. He can work uh, upstairs, hard leg kicks. And Jalen Turner, on the other hand, is like very very tall for the division. These guys have a huge like height difference. Uh, Turner like pretty clean with the boxing. Uh, uh, very creative too. He he can set you up with the jab. He can he can fight hands uh, when they are at open stance. Very sneaky with the knees too, and he doesn't have to to lift the knee very high to to land on this one. But when Turner Turner really shines is with finding like clean counters on combinations, especially when he's baiting a he's baiting a counter from his opponent. Uh, Riddell, on the other hand, is very willing to counter. He, you give him a trigger, and he will throw immediately like three or four strikes. And he's very good at at putting the strikes together in a in a way that makes sense. What do you think, Dan? 
Um, I think I have a lot of things. So I think the big thing about Turner is uh, Turner's whole thing is Turner is the definition of a fast starter. At, at that, which is one of the reasons. Oh, he's he's so sharp out of the gate. He's he's, he's like he has a round already under his belt. Yeah. So like, uh, what, what's prevalent immediately is that Turner's just an insane starter, just right off the bat too. Like he'll bust out his kicks. He'll immediately try to cut you off. Uh, if you try to set up counters to that kicks, like he's already like prepared for that. Try to counter you back. I think like um, the other the other thing is like if he gets into the clinch, he has more tools there, or like hurts the opponent. Especially he he doubles down on actually being aggressive, and so like his best punch is often his lead straight and check hook counters. But when he's yeah. like in the clinch, you will see like him sh- like really dig in those shovel hooks to the body, like the uppercuts especially, and like um. He he's also has a great knack for reading where his opponents are and then attacking them on those resets. So if you like are repositioning yourself, he is on you immediately, already kicking you or already trying to hit you to make you back up more. Like he's very very promising if you wanted an aggressive fighter in this division. Um, and against Riddell, one of Riddell's problems is Riddell can be backed up. But the problem with fighting Riddell is Riddell is one of the best at, like, figuring out how exchanges work in the division. So it's, although Fazeev had a great game plan of, like, getting Riddell backed into the corner and giving him as little space as possible. Oh, and then, like, having Riddell lead and then countering him and with kicks or the counter flurries. The thing is, like, Riddell still figured out plenty of ways to, like, set up counters to Fazeev. And, like, often a lot of that was off of his jab. And how he would create, like, four different threats off of it, such as kicks, body shots, or a fake overhand. And and so, it, it's going to be a question here, because Turner still is a little bit static off of the stat- off of the center line, and especially on the lead, he can rush in a bit. It, But the times where he does get backed off, he immediately puts it back on them. So, I think the other issue is, since Riddell does like to counter and Turner is going to be looking for chances to counter him. Um, I think this fight's going to come down to who can get to each other in those layered exchanges because on the back foot, I worry for Riddell a bit because one, one of the things that cost him versus Fazeev was getting out of that corner and he just couldn't do it. And so I think if Turner really, really puts it on him, it's going to be a kind of a test of him being able to make Turner back off. So, the other thing that'll be interesting is Riddell does like to use wrestling in his back pocket, and I don't really have a read on Turner's wrestling or grappling game yet. Um, so that that's an interesting route to go here, but my, my read is Turner's going to back Riddell up, and then it's going to kind of become a firefight of who can hurt the other worse. Yeah, I think... The- uh, yeah, one one interesting thing that you said is uh, Turner might be one of the best uh, punchers in the clinch. Like, he finds huge shots on the clinch. It's funny that Vicente Luque finished him there, but it's just because Luque is, like, one of the biggest punchers, pound for pound, in the whole sport. But but Turner, very dangerous, especially if he has, like, a color tie in one hand. He can fuck you up with the other hand. Yeah. Um, Riddell is crafty in the clinch, though. I, I don't think Turner will have s- such an easy time um, there. But Turner all, all, all will always have the knees 
in the clinch against Riddell because the the height difference. Um, I think Riddell should kick a lot on this one. It's dangerous because yep. Turner has like the the straight left. It's very dangerous when someone is kicking, but but Riddell is actually one of the few guys in MMA that's very good at moving his head while while he's kicking. So I don't think he he will get like uh, caught for free on this one. Um, Riddell should also like. If if he wants to bring the body hooks in a fight, should be this one, uh-huh. for sure. Uh, but as you said, is that the thing with Riddell is that yeah, he's not very aware of where he is in the cages. He's easy to back up, and and as much tools as he has, uh, it being at the end of the range of Turner is not like a good thing at all. Uh, Riddell very good with the with the reactive takedowns. Um, might be able to hold Turner down. I mean, Turner not great off his back. We've seen him get back to his feet here and there, but but he also like needs time and he needs a moment. Um, as we see against Malarkey, he was held down by Frebola like all night long. So Frebola very decent re- wrestler and grappler, mind you. But uh, but yeah, as you said, you never know what what's going to happen in those spaces. Um. Riddell needs to establish something very early. Uh, Riddell, Riddell also, he is not that he starts fast, but similar to Turner, he's very sharp out of the gate. Like, do you give uh, Riddell a, a lazy jab early, and he's going to counter that like a hundred percent. But but he doesn't start with the pace that Turner brings in on, on the opening round. Like Turner goes in immediately. But if someone is is like equipped to deal with that pace early is Riddell because he has like a very deep toolbox as as we were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of a gist of this fight is if it's going to end in a finish, and it might, might is a Turner's like faster. It's kind of pitched against um, Riddell's ability to kind of figure things out. But both guys are sharp enough in like both phases where. You can you can see this probably being a really really intense back and forth fight as long as it lasts. Yeah, it's this this fight's going to be awesome. I mean, even if it lasts for only a minute, you know it's going to be fireworks. No, absolutely. Like this is um like if there is an action fight on this card, it's this. It's probably not the best matchup on this card, but it's close. So I I think um. Picks are, picks are hard here, because it's like, I, I tend to lean a lot into Ringcraft, kind of factoring a lot into this matchup, a lot against Riddell, but I, I can see enough routes here that if anyone's going to figure out ways to, like, hurt Turner or quickly or make him pay, someone like Riddell is so equipped to that, so I I don't know, dude, this is a pick him. Yeah, for sure. It feels like a 50-50. If I had to add, like, one thing is that Turner lives a lot by exploiting uh, habits that MMA fighters have. And and Riddell might might be well prepared to not do those things because he has, like, a very extensive striking background. Um, So if it goes long, I'm not sure if Turner can keep the pace because he starts so fast. Um, if there's a finish early, I mean, it could go both ways, but I, I think it, that favors Turner. If it goes long, um, I haven't seen Turner, like, figure out uh, such a hard opponent. I think Riddell takes over late if he mm-hmm. goes there. Yeah, I think the other thing is, although Turner has shown a gift for attacking resets, 
someone with Riddell's experience, despite being backed up, it's going to be way harder to do that against because Riddell will take smaller steps and like subtler positions than your average MMA fighter. So that might be something to look out for too. So yeah, I I don't know who to pick here. Yeah, I mean, I think Turner, as you as you very well described, is a very hard matchup for Riddell, but I still have to see him beat a, a striker of this caliber. If I have to make a safe pick, I'm going Riddell by decision. I think I'll go Riddell by second round knockout, but I expect everything until then to just be nuts. Yeah, it's going it's going to be awesome. Like this is a candidate for a fight of the night, easy. Yep. All right, so next fight is um, 135, a bantamweight bout between Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. And um, this this is a really, really big step up, I think, for O'Malley. And I think it's kind of one of those fights for a lot of years, people have suspected. So I think um, Munoz is interesting because he's kind of aged at this point. But the things we know about Munoz is that Despite losing a step, he's he's in theory a really really tough matchup for O'Malley here. So he's a huge hitter, can take some huge shots himself. Extremely dangerous scrambler, or pretty good boxing mechanics enough to compete with like Jimmy Rivera on the feet, for instance. But like he kind of has some weird initiative issues, and his footwork isn't the best. But in terms of opportunism and being very dangerous, he's near the top of the division. And he's a very, very scary kicker when, you know, he goes to that. Unless you're fighting Jose Aldo, for obvious reasons. <laughs> so, O'Malley's interesting because as a prospect, O'Malley has a lot of skill on the feet. As far as a fainter, kind of measuring things, he's pretty fast. Um, and, and very, very good at, like, setting up his shots behind, like, little throwaway feints to draw reactions. O'Malley's problem, though, is that he's incredibly irresponsible with a lot of his ring craft and like guys who just stay in his face force O'Malley to throw a lot and e even against someone like a, that Chris Motano guy though Motano took a ton of punishment Motano is not necessarily ready for the Motinho. UFC Motinho my fault <laughs> he's not necessarily ready for the UFC but like he exploited like how much you can catch O'Malley kicks on free sets and force him into uncomfortable exchanges. Now, against someone who can actively cut O'Malley off and attack the legs, that's kind of a problem. That's kind of why people for years, I think, have called Munoz one of the guys who can do that. Because who attacks legs more? Um, probably, like, the calf kick a guy in bantamweight more than Pedro Munoz is. So, kind of a big test for O'Malley here, because he's not going to be able to put... Munoz away unless Munoz has kind of lost a step, but Munoz poses a lot of issues. What do you think? Yeah, the fight's very interesting. I mean, you know, hype aside, uh, it's very interesting because both guys uh, do a lot of stuff that annoyed the other fighter. I mean, it's obviously that we, I mean, we know that uh, Munoz's style can be very troubling for O'Malley because he has the mm -hmm. the pressure, he has the calf kicks. The, the one uh, thing, pretty, the one thing, pretty I decent. Boxing also uh, on the counter, and that's something that that O'Malley like doesn't like because he likes to like punch for free. Um, go on. Well, one thing I am gonna say though is Munoz himself is very very plotting, 
and O'Malley does move around a lot, so that is something that might pose an issue. Yeah, that's that's that was what where I where I was going is that uh, we've seen Munoz like being kept at bay, uh, especially the the Sterling fight. Sterling like just like used a lot of variety with the kicks uh, to keep like Munoz uh, very far away. And O'Malley like doesn't have like the the kick arsenal that Ojeman has, but he has the movement and he has like a lot of feints and a lot of range to keep Munoz. Uh, Munoz like really needs to take the risk and pressure forward on this one. I think a lot of O'Malley's power uh, disappears when he, when fighters are uh, pushing against him. I think Moutinho exposed that a lot um, because when you give like O'Malley like the the range that he wants. He's actually a very devastating puncher mm-hmm. and and kicks very hard too, so he's he's very dangerous. Uh, Munoz might get dicey because um, he's not that old but has a lot of fights and he has taken a lot of punishment. I mean, I wouldn't be like 100% surprised if O'Malley put him out, even though Munoz have shown to have like a legendary shield. Um O'Malley might be the one to crack uh, but I don't know, man. I, I think I think we've seen Munoz fight the the fight that he needs to fight to win this one. Uh, O'Malley has the shot for sure. I mean, he, uh, both are like a hard matchup for the other. I don't think it's very. I don't think it's like uh, super clear for Munoz uh, as some people think. Mm-hmm. I think O'Malley has a pretty decent shot, especially with the movement and and the and the straight shots, the length uh, will be a trouble for Munoz, I think, for sure. Munoz will have to take risk. He will have to walk through fire. But I think he can t- get it done. I think yeah. he can get it done, especially if he if he attacks the legs and the body. And and, and we've seen him do that before. Mm-hmm. Um, the- if he gets that going, I think O'Malley can probably fall apart. Yeah, I have um, I, I have one thing worth saying. Uh, so, so we did emphasize that um, kind of one of the problems... O'Malley has great movement versus Ringcraft here. What we're saying is O'Malley has, like, good mechanics kind of on his footwork in terms of, like, being able to move around his opponents at distance. But when it comes to, like, managing space in the cage, that's kind of yeah. O'Malley's issue, if that makes more yeah, sense. Yeah, for sure. So the, the the concerning part about Munoz for me is I wasn't really happy with his last showing against Cruz because although Cruz is a very weird and crafty fighter... And Cruz, I think, just kind of surprised Munoz by, like, kind of just going, fuck it, I'll just throw a lot of volume and force you to counter and then reset. Um, he, it is a little damning that Munoz kind of forgot to, like, attack Cruz off the resets with kicks, so if he kind of pulls that here, he's going to give O'Malley a lot of trouble. And Munoz himself has kind of been somewhat inconsistent throughout his career, sometimes with sticking to some things that work and don't, so... I, yeah, I, I don't think this is a watch for Munoz, um, but if he shows up with the right ideas, he can pr- probably get it done. He will definitely have to take sh- some shots, but that's nothing new for Munoz. So, um, I, I'll take the gamble. I'll take Munoz by um, maybe like a third round stoppage, I guess. But I don't know. I, I don't trust O'Malley's durability that much, personally. Yeah. yeah, same. I think that's the question here. I think O'Malley has, has a chance for sure, but... And also, like, something encouraging for those that for some reason want O'Malley to win is that Munoz, as Munoz's chin, as good as it is, 
we've seen Munoz like being affected by punches by like Frankie Edgar and Dominic Cruz in the last few years. And O'Malley punched way harder than those guys. <laughs> so so if he lands clean, you might never know. I mean, we've never seen like Munoz like super rocked in the UFC. Mm-hmm. This might be the fight, you never know. But until I see it, you know, um, I'm picking Munoz too. Uh, I think uh, a third round knockout is like a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, so that's one of the feature fights on this card. Uh, the next one is another old man's fight, but this one, I think we can agree, has the potential to be really, really exciting. So, uh, Robbie Lawler is fighting Brian Barberina. Uh, Lawler is a veteran of, what, like 20 plus years at this point? And I mean, what a 20 years they are. Barberina is not young himself, but like, he's had a lot of wars, too. So... Barbarina's coming off of that pretty great contest with Matt Brown earlier this year, which it kind of showed with the right veteran ideas, you can really mess with uh, Barbarina, especially with rhythm itself. That's one of the successes um, that Brown had. Um, so it's like the, the main things about Barbarina is he's unfathomably durable upstairs, and you can back him up pretty easily. He's v- very vulnerable to the body. But he has a stupid gas tank, is a pretty good hitter, hitter, and just, like, is willing to put a lot of volume and relentlessness out there. His stance in Greencraft are, like I said, kind of the big things, but, like, he, he's he's a very good guy when he gets the momentum really, really pressing with it. So Lawler's kind of an interesting challenge, because Lawler kind of looked a lot better against Diaz than he has recently, though it might just be level of opposition and age, you know? So, Lawler showed kind of, like, a lot of vintage kind of things. Like, he's still very intelligent at recognizing, like, where he is in the ring, where he is with exchanges, drawing counters out, avoiding counters in the pocket, even in high volume, willing to attack the all levels, the body included. So, Barbarina throws a lot. He may have a harder time getting through to Lawler here, but it kind of feels like a high-paced fight might break out here. Yeah, for sure. Um, if it wasn't for the for the Nick Diaz fight, I would say like Barbarina has it easy. But man, I mean, you can you can say what you want about, about Nick Diaz showing up like out of shape and all. But that dude came to fight and Lawler showed up like showed up yep. for sure. Um, he was looking sharp and and Nick Diaz was was presenting some of the some similar uh, stylistic uh, stuff that Barbarina does, like also also Southpaw. Is Barbarina Southpaw? I think so. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, yeah, and and also Barbarina likes the like the the long combinations with a lot of like like soft touch and the the hard punch in between, and that's something that Nick Diaz like excels himself at. Um, I would say Nick has like more like better punching mechanics than Barbarina, but Barbarina at this stage might be more durable and probably and more willing. Hitter. Yeah, might be. Um, Nick hits harder to the body for sure because he has like better mechanics with the body hooks, but but Barbarina might be the harder hitter up, upstairs. Um, Barbarina is also like very decent in the clinch, something that Nick Diaz also is. Um, they're not like. They're not like similar fighters if you if you watch them fight, but when it comes to like uh, big concepts, they're pretty similar as a matchup against Lawler. So I think that this is a good fight for Lawler to show up the 
the same skills that he mm -hmm. showed the last time, but this time um, he will have to put it together for for the whole three rounds because Barbarina is so hard to put out. I mean, if someone can put him out, it might be Loller. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, you cannot count that you're gonna finish Barbarina. You have to be there the whole time, and yeah, like and hopefully, only... hopefully Loller's gas tank like can last because. It could actually be a very good fight. Yeah, like, the, the only ways, like, guys have really, really gotten to Barbarina in terms of, like, finishes are, like, Luke and Brandy Brown, but most of that was from, like, body hitting inconsistently. Like, I mean, although Luke basically knocked him out at the very last second of that fight and what a fight it was, Brown kind of showed, like, a good, like, um, approach for how you handle him. Like, lots of attacks to the body consistently to wear him down. Owen... Because he's, he's way more vulnerable there, Aaron. So I think, like, um, if you can't kill someone who's immortal upstairs, always go to the body, typically. And I think Barbarina's kind of a great example of a fighter you should do that against. So, yeah, I think um, if Lawler shows up looking anything like last time, we may be in for a heck of a show that kind of comes down to, like, like, okay, how does the ring craft work? Is Lawler's pocket defense able to fend all this off? Uh, is Barbarina able to employ certain creative attacks to get around Lawler's guard? Because he doesn't have, like, the jab or, like, creative kind of body hitting that Diaz has, but he's a little more unorthodox. So, might be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. So, I, I don't really know. It kind of depends what version of Lawler shows up. That, But um, this has the potential to be really fun. Yeah, the, the question is, who are we picking here? Um, Barbarina seems like the safer bet at this point, but why not take the risk? I'll, I'll take Lawler by decision. Okay, you, you'll take Lawler. Uh, I go, I go safer with the Barbarina decision yeah. here. Yeah, fuck it. Ride or die with Robbie Lawler forever. I um, really hope, I really hope Robbie wins this one. I really hope he looks like the last time because he looked very good. Yeah. Alright, so, um, this next fight's really intriguing, but it's also really, really weird. It's very um, hard to talk about this next one. <laughs> yeah, so we'll do our best. We might go off of some tangents here. So Sean Strickland is taking on Alex Pereira. And um, Sean Strickland's very, very weird. But Pereira... But he might have a ch good shot of actually beating Pereira on the feet here. But And I'll explain why in a bit. So... Strickland's whole game is basically predicated around his like jab as a control kind of a distance hitting and then a setup tool like Strickland has a good sense of timing he's good at like checking and guarding shots behind his forearms he kind of employs kind of that long guard mummy guard variations so not a lot of upper body movement but decently good at catching shots off his arms he he isn't really an active fainter but like you uniquely kind of see he doesn't really respond to a lot of feints or threats a lot of guys throw at him you can kind of tell, like, he's someone who's definitely sparred quite a bit with, like, how comfortable he is kind of in there. So there there might be some comment about him watching his work too much, but his eyes are very, very good. The, but there's also not a lot of urgency, but there's not exactly, like, too much passivity either. So it's kind of, it's a little hard to kind of get the read on who Strickland is. I, I talked with, um, I, I talked with a few people on staff and some of them said he's kind of a variation of Bisping, you know? But it's it's kind of hard to tell who Strickland is or who he's been. But the the one thing that's clear is that he's consistent. He hits very very often, and he's 
pretty like well read when it comes to like getting his timing and pushing for it. What's your thoughts on Sean Strickland here, Fenya? Yeah, I think Strickland is like. For me, I always got the impression that Strickland developed his his style like sparring in a crowded room because he's very comfortable like standing in front of somebody. He's actually very that's where he's at best. Um when he's moving around the cage, his footwork is not very good. Mm -hmm. Um he the even when he's pressuring, he's not very good at cutting the cage. He tends to follow around. But the once you start exchange he actually takes like little steps to adjust his pos his relative position. Mm -hmm. It's very good with the jab. The wonky like defense with the shoulders works works surprisingly well. It's very hard to hit him hard. And even when you hit him hard, he's super tough. Like very good chin because I think he has very good eyes. He always sees shots coming even even when you, you hit him. Mm -hmm. And he's very comfortable there. Yeah, it's like, not it's not hard to back him up, but like it's deceptively hard to catch him. It, like yeah. you kind of see like Hermanson really like came on strong behind the like body jabs, level changes, and kicks, and had more success. But he still like wasn't able to consistently get to him. So I don't I don't know. It's kind of hard to get a read on Strickland, but you can tell the one th area that he's great at is the pocket, and you can tell he's very composed there. Like it's yeah, probably from a lot of sparring, most likely is what it looks like. Yeah, he's also like he also has good transitions in the clinch. Um, like Strickland doesn't fight like a guy that that can put like a good knees together on the clinch, but he does, mm -hmm. and also has like strong uh, takedowns from the body lock if he gets there. Like he doesn't have good entries for takedowns, mm -hmm. but if you like spend time there, like. He just grabbed a body lock of Uriah Hall and put him on the on his ass like immediately. It's not that he's a great wrestler, but he has like good timing. He has the, that craftiness of someone that spars a fuck ton. And, and obviously, like spending time in the pocket with Pereira is very dangerous because like Pereira's left left hook is yeah. like so fucking dangerous. So, but Strickland, yeah. Strickland is dangerous himself, especially when he remembers to go to the body. Strickland is a uh, is a menace on the pocket. Yeah, so Pereira is a great way to segue uh, to our next thing. So Pereira's thing is like he's kind of known as the left hook guy, and that's definitely it. Um, the thing about Pereira that is most obvious though is you can tell he has had a very very weird time adjusting from the ring to the cage. Like, it, when you watch Pereira in, like, some kicking contests against some of the guys he's had, you can tell, like, at first he's, like, very tentative about how m much his kicks are used as range fighters, like, how far he extends them. But you can also, like, sort of, like, see he's got some feel for closing the door on exchanges with kicks. And eventually, once he does get exchanges, he, he does, like, kick freely. Pereira's problem, though, is, like, in the cage... He gets put on the fence so, so easily. He, and, like, uh, so some guys who have just tried to punch with him, such as some of his last three, like, have successfully, like, been able to get him there and clinch with him. And in the clinch, he's kind of a mixed case of, like, a guy who can work there, but he's not, like, super impressive there. Um, but on the other hand, when Pereira is able to, like, push you back or, like, put them on the fence, he's extremely scary. You'll see, like, him really employ, like, his size, because he's a big, big dude. Like, he'll often... It's very long. Super yeah, long. Yeah, very long. Like, Prayer's go-to thing is, like, he'll use frames off of his lead hand to, like, control exchanges 
and then fire quick hooks off of that. And, and then, like, he'll start pot-shotting you to set up, like, feints, and then, like, draw your responses and then kill you with that left hook. Look, he's absolutely excellent at that. The thing is, like, it, it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis of, like, okay, did you get him to the fence, or is he backing you up? And, and that's kind of what makes Strickland kind of interesting here, because Strickland will be the most experienced MMA fighter he's fought, which is for the wrestling reasons, which we've already outlined, but Strickland also is active in the clinch, and we haven't really seen Pereira tested that much there. And yeah, I mean Bruno Bruno Silva. That is like yeah. he's the most similar fighter to Strickland that that Pereira has faced. Mm -hmm. And Bruno Silva had a lot of success in that fight. Yeah, Strickland Strickland doesn't have the dynamite that Bruno Silva has in his hands, but I think he's better putting stuff together. I would say. Yeah. So and, and also another thing that favors Strickland on this one is that. Uh, Strickland, um, a lot of people would say that leaning leaning back a lot is very dangerous against a, a experienced striker like Pereira. But a lot of uh, Pereira's most dangerous tools are diffused by the lean back, you know. Because, for example, the knees and uh, and he he likes to land to land the left hook very up in close. And Strickland is not as tall, but he's long himself, and I think he can avoid both the knees and the the left hooks with the lean back. Most of the time, mm -hmm. uh, Pereira will have to rely a lot on his straight shots. He has very good straight punching, but he's not as powerful as he is with yeah. the hooks. That's that's the thing. Like Pereira is great when he gets setups, but like individual shots themselves, there's like some questions. And so, like with kind of his kicking kind of being hit or miss, like um, at distance in the cage so far from what we've seen, it, it's kind of hard to figure out like how that's going to play a role here because everyone who's fighting Strickland should be kicking the him anyways, but, like, it's hard to tell, like, um, how's Pereira gonna feel? Is he gonna be worried about that takedown threat? Because for all intents and purposes, like, Pereira's takedown defense hasn't exactly looked stellar. But, you could also see in the pocket, like, um, like, that Strickland has kind of, if Strickland's able to back him up, up in, like, willingness to kind of stand in front of him, that might lead to some issues for Pereira, unless Pereira kind of times him for that one counter. So, it's kind of it's going to be kind of an awkward fight to kind of call, I think. Yeah, it's a lot of unknowns on this one, um, because because it's hard to know how how Strickland will approach this. for For most of the time, like Strickland has a has a like a one size fits all approach, and mm -hmm. it usually works because it's very solid. But but he might have to game plan for this one. Yeah, uh, it... Pereira represents like uh, special challenges that most yeah. fighters don't. Uh, the thing is that. Strickland on the ground is very solid. If he gets like a body lock and ends up on top, um, you know Pereira has been studying Adesanya in the sense that he uses his long limbs to like quickly get back to his feet. But Strickland is crafty. He started out as a jiu-jitsu guy. He his control is very good and very hard ground and pound. I mean, he, um, Uriah Hall was able to get back to his feet against Strickland, but it was not for free. Oh, Strickland landed hard ground and pound on that guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's this. This is kind of just tricky because, like, it, it's obvious what the UFC is trying to do. They're trying to set up a Pereira fight with Adesanya, and it's like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's like they saw Strickland as like the guy to like get that set up for. But it, it's very possible that Strickland kind of surprises a lot of people and really exposes that Pereira might not be ready 
for like the more upper echelons of MMA. And although he might prove to be kind of a weird challenge for Adesanya in a pure like like striking matchup, it, it's yeah. like it, it's very hard to see Pereira like if like certain elements of like the sport come into play here, like how he handles it, because he's. St- He's an excellent striker, but he's still a very, very green MMA fighter. And that's kind of... Yeah. And it's, it, it's a big difference with Adesanya when Adesanya got to this level. Uh-huh. Um, for example, if this was like uh, a younger a younger version of like Derek Bronson or like current Marvin Vettori, I would pick him like super easily against Pereira because like we haven't seen him fight against that kind of wrestler yep. ever. So, yeah, I, I think, like, th- this is... I, I think we've exhausted the point here. Um, are we both picking Strickland to maybe buy an upset, or do we trust him not to get tagged, like, really bad and hurt? I'm pretty sure Strickland survives. Um, I, I'm not sure I trust his process to make the adjustments to mm-hmm. to win this fight. I think he has the tools for sure. I'm taking a gamble here because it's all unknowns, but I think Pereira wins another decision similar to the Bruno Silva one. Hmm. Yeah, I I, I kind of see that too. I don't I don't really Strickland is if anything else consistent, and sometimes that kind of makes me think maybe they don't go out of their comfort zones, and Strickland kind of strikes me as that guy. Because like like I said earlier, you, you there's not really like any kind of urgency, but he's not like passive either. But that kind of just means he's kind of comfortable in his own skin, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'll, I'll take, th- this is a gamble, I'll take Pereira to maybe get it done, too. But I'll give, but I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't, I don't think you would be either if Strickland surprised us. I low-key want Strickland to win just for MMA supremacy, but oh, don't tell, be. don't tell anybody. <sighs> for those listening, don't tell anyone. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think that's all we have to really say about this one, right? Yeah, let's move to the to the two big ones. So, yeah, this next fight, guys, this next fight, the co-main event, or really, let's be honest, this is the main event. Yeah. Um, if there, there's not many better fights you can really make in the UFC or the whole sport, but this is the big one. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway 3. I mean, it, it, this is this is basically the fight to decide the best fighter on the planet, or at least like the guy. I, I, or at the very least, like, like some like attempt at closing out this rivalry in some way. Because basically, like, um, and wh- where where do you even start? Like, with how good of a fight this is, but also just like how important it is. So, we had that. F- I I've written two articles about these two and i still don't know where to start it's like we have um we had one fight where volkanovsky employed like an absolutely fantastic game plan to avoid engaging holloway and holloway's strongest areas and then holloway comes into that rematch that phenomenal rematch and basically like turns volkanovsky's own expectations and tools against him and then volkanovsky adjusts mid fight to make it like neck and neck to take home a razor, razor close and controversial decision. So, go- going into this third fight, it's kind of a question of we have 50 minutes of data. What, how, how exactly can we predict it based upon that? And the answer is kind of like, well, it's really, really unknown, to be honest. Yeah, it's one of those fights that uh, both guys are uh, shines so so bright when they are making adjustments that you can 
you cannot be very confident going into this one because who the hell knows what the game plan will be for both guys. Yeah. Like, like the first time uh, Volkanovski was pretty sure how Holloway was going to approach him, and he was right, so he got the win on that one. It was still a close fight. Don't, don't like, don't forget that. Like, it was still a very competitive fight, especially. Yeah, it was very competitive. I mean, not that hard to score, but Holloway was a few a few big moments away from from winning that fight. Still, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then on just... the second one, like on the second one, as you said, like Holloway just like turns every everything upside down, and Volkanovski is there on his own to to make adjustment to the adjustments. And and now, like, who knows what 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 these guys will bring to the table because they they're both so flexible, uh, have so many tools. I would say, like, uh, on the on the approach uh, side, I think. Um, Holloway is more to bring like tactical changes to the to the rematch. Um, he's who he is. He's going to bring the pace, but the way that he he will bring the pace can change. I mean, he brought more kicks. He he brought more counters on the rematch, and that was very important. Uh, Bolkanovski, on the other hand, is like guy that is willing to like revamp his whole game um, to win a fight. So so yeah, I mean, where do you think these guys will take this fight? It's it's like, so So just to kind of go backwards, it's like asking ourselves kind of what these two want to do. So it's like, Holloway, Holloway is kind of perceived as a pressure, and that's not really who he is. He's more of a swarmer kind of archetype. He's a he's a pace fighter, not a, not a pressure fighter. Yeah, he's all about that pace and swarming you. So it's like, kind of the difference between a swarmer and a pressure fighter, like really generally, is a swarmer basically wants to basically overwhelm you and give you as little room to fight back as possible. They completely overwhelm you. That's the crux of their game. A pressure fighter, like, wants to limit how efficient you are as much exactly, as possible. Exactly, yeah. So, Holloway has always been more of a swarmer, and, like, I mean, the Cater fight ought to be the best demonstration of, like, how insane of a swarmer he is at his peak. But, yeah. um... And so it's like, nobody wants to fight that version of Holloway, because it's like, <laughs> who the fuck can compete with him in, like, that many exchanges? Not many guys can. Like, just straight up. So, I mean, Holloway, Holloway. if Holloway can get you b- with your back against the cage, he will fuck you up. But he's not so concerned about that. He's concerned about getting the exchanges going and going and going. Yeah. So he can he can overwhelm you. And also, like, he collects uh, an, an amazing amount of data about you. And he uses that against you, like, super fast. Yeah, it's, um, like, I, I've said there are basically two guys who have arguably the best lead hands in the sport. Volkanovski, whom we'll talk about a bit, is one of them. Holloway's the other guy. So, like, the crux of Volk's game in that first fight was to shut down that lead hand as much as possible. And, like, for the most... Because, like, the difference between them is Volkanovski is a mitigator, but Holloway's kind of the one who wants to push for so much more. Um, in, in terms of, like, sheer offensive depth of Arsenal... All that Holloway you can put off of like individual things into combinations. I don't think anyone surpasses Holloway. Like Oliveira is probably the best finishing threat. Jan might be the best offensive like ring technician, but like in terms of offensive depth of like combinations that can be put together, the answer is probably Holloway, right? Yeah, you 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 gotta walk through hell to beat Holloway. There's no two ways around it. Yeah, and it's also like we're we're not even factoring like him having like the two biggest cheat codes of all, like it being basically immortal to like damage, 
It's unless you hit, like, a steel truck. And, like, basically being impossible to tire out. Unless, A, you beat the shit out of him enough that it's an even fight. Or, B, E, E, he gets actually tired from punching you over 10 billion times. C, Calvin Cater. But it's, like, it's just, it's absurd. The output and, like, the just relentlessness and durability, that's just a nightmare for anyone. So... The fact that Volkanovski managed to handle that in the first fight is its own impressive feat, but what's scarier now is that that rematch showed Holloway can now do things outside of that. Because, like, he has a greater focus on ring craft, after employing kicks and ancillary tools to, like, continuously back you up as well, pairing kicks, knees, and punches together with that, at etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then... One certain change that hasn't been talked about much that he's shown against Cater and now like Yair Rodriguez is like the employed like transitional tools. So one some of the things he does against Rodriguez like he starts willfully punching Rodriguez's resets out of the exchanges, backs him up, and then like gets him and in, punches into the clinch or like turns it into like a wrestling or like submission attempt, and he'll do that stuff continuously. Or, like, transition your grips to knee you more often. He's always been kind of an underrated clinch fighter Holloway has. Yeah. Yeah, and the, like the return for off the clinch was was a delight. Yeah, and so it's like... All, all these little things kind of change the things you know about Holloway. So it's like, there's that big red danger zone, but it's like, oh, now he can do this? Well, fuck me. Um, so that kind of leads into Volkanovski. So... Volkanovski's style is basically, I think, the ultimate, like, um, can do everything and can flexibly, like, become any kind of system that's necessary. Um, Volkanovski's focus, though, is kind of mitigation. And he's yeah, he's very similar to, like, GSP in that sense. He wants to take away your tools and then beat you. Yeah, like, he's a very control-based fighter, and, like, you can kind of see him be good at almost everything, but not, like, perfect in almost everything, if that makes sense. So He's just very, very smart about application. He doesn't need to have the deepest uh, toolbox everywhere, even though he he's not surface level at any absolutely at not. any part of MMA. No, it, but but he can be outmatched in some areas. But he, but the application is so smart that he doesn't let you take the fight where you need to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest that we've seen was Holloway and. Although in a very lackluster fight, but that was very interesting in in a psychological sense. Yeah, it's um the thing about Volkanovski is like the, the things Volkanovski does better than just about anyone else is like understanding like how to maximize the use of little tools to make like a maximum reward. But it's also like Volkanovski is also throwing a lot out there. He's constantly fainting. He's constantly employing like different attacks off of each other like he's probably the best mma has at like mixing up a wide variety of tools to their maximum like coverage together and that's kind of his strength so he kind of works at a high output but it's meant to like whereas holloway is legit like death by a thousand cuts volkanovsky is more like death by a thousand threats yeah, so. the the thing is that the the whole fainting and the volume about Volkanovski it ties back up back again with the control thing. He wants to control how you move, where you are in the cage, what strikes you trying to to shot to throw at him. He tries to control all of that with volume, and then, and in the meantime he also like um uh, he's also like uh 
like adding damage to the fight like it's not that I mean Holloway obviously is going to put the base and the damage on you but when Volkanovski is putting volume it's not for free you know the, those strikes are no joke either obviously Holloway is the is the more dangerous guy if you let him like a snowball but but if you let Volkanovski like control the pace he will he will start finding like bigger and bigger strikes and he gets more dangerous mm -hmm. yeah it's like how he pairs things together so like an example of which I don't remember the exact sequence but against like TKZ who is really badly outmatched in that one like the the thing is like Volkanovski just started like drawing the check hook counter and did like a fake one two and then immediately would do like a variation off of a kick again like seconds later he does that all the time like constantly because every the telegraphs look the same the combinations he can put off of different ones are very very similar or and that's and it's often just the same move again and again but he's doing it in a different combination he's always doing those things like constantly like he's so consistent at it and that's why he's very very hard to figure out because he understands how his tool set works and like Holloway he's one of the best at adjusting for that kind of thing if anything else he's a little better than Holloway at adjusting so the thing is um the the thing is for ta talking about like respective weaknesses for for these two let, let's start with Volkanovski I'd say there are um so for one thing the biggest and most obvious weakness of Volkanovski is the pocket he isn't amazing defensively there. He's gotten better, actually, at, like, navigating it. it. But, like, in very, very extended exchanges, you can catch him. Like, it, and it becomes very prevalent if you throw a lot at him. Like, um, Holloway had success with this. Um, Ortega had success with this. And even TKZ had success yeah. with this. Yeah. Volkanovski likes the pocket when, when he has a good entry. Like, if he gets a reaction out of you, he feels a lot more comfortable with starting a pocket combination. And... Because he, he knows where to put his eyes, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, he knows, like, okay, I made you react in this way, now your options are so-and-so. He he navigates the pocket very well when, when it is like that. When when we've seen, like, Holloway or Tega, like, force him into the pocket, um, the the flaws start to show. Because, yeah. because I mean, he has some tools. I mean, he, he moves the head, like... Uh, preemptively, but he can get predictable, and he still has, like, uh, lapses, especially when he resets back to his original stance, he can get caught hit there. Yeah. And we've seen Holloway and Ortega punish that. Holloway, Hol the crux of Holloway's offensive, like, success in that second fight was off of punishing Volkanovski's ring craft, because towards the end of fight one, Holloway realized, oh, if I keep pushing you back and keep punishing you to the body... I could really, like, get to you in more exchanges. And so fight two, he's like, what if I keep using a kicking game to push you back without entering the pocket and keep corning you again and again? And although Holloway didn't really, like, really force the issue once he got Volk there, the fact that he got him there so, so many times, even after Volkanovski adjusted, like, should be a really, really worrying sign for Volk. Look, like, that's, uh, Volk the big, that's, like, the yeah, big go. thing. So, like, Ortega, and I, Max isn't the only one to do that. Like, Ortega did it, TKZ did it once. Like, anyone who has tried to, like, back Volkanovski up can get him there. But is it easier said than done? Fuck no. It's really, really yeah. Like Also, like, Volkanovski really dislikes, like, losing losing the initiative. Because you, you can tell he's, like, a control freak. 
and when guys start putting like the base together and and that's that's what makes the the Holloway wins like so so amazing I would say is that he was able to to overcome that because that's something that he clearly doesn't like um when when he keeps you at bay and, and he can see the first shot coming he's very comfortable it's very similar to the to the pocket thing that I just said but but when when the pace starts like piling up piling up uh, he starts uh he's forced to improvise and that's one thing that Volkanovski mm-hmm. as good as he is at uh, adapting and making adjustments that's one thing that he doesn't like he likes to like have a clear idea of what he's going to do and when he's force out of that comfort zone that's where he's at his most vulnerable i would say mm-hmm. yeah and, and it's hard to really keep him there consistently but like yeah for sure e- even after adjusting like Ma- you also need someone who can adjust with him to make it work like holloway and ortega both were able to adjust pocket exchanges later in their fights with him and you could argue like ortega by that point he was maybe being a little complacent but like holloway like consistently showed like hey, the gaps are still there. You just still have to keep drawing them out. So it's like, oh, you're going to focus on the jab? What if I start to try to take that jab away? Oh, okay, you're going to keep moving so much? Well, I just got to stay on you and keep kicking you. You're going to... You adjusted to my counters that I was drawing you in earlier. What if I just change this punch to a jab? Because now I can jab way more free than I did in our first fight. It's stuff like that. But conversely, Volkanovski understands, like... So much, um, despite my criticism of Volkanovski's backwards ringcraft, his neutral space ringcraft and his front foot ringcraft are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, for sure. And so, like, when it comes to, like, he understands, like, the principal rule that everyone working on the back foot or neutral space gets. If you're having a guy follow you, punish them for it. It, like, constantly punish them for doing that. And he does that over and over again. But he's also, like, keep them turning and then keep them turning another direction and then create more offense, especially the jab off of that. Or create different kind of things. And that's, like, he had to up his activity with those things to to an absolutely insane extent to, like, make that fight with Holloway, like, the last ten or so minutes as even as they were. And then, like, he still found ways back into it and... I think this is kind of a good segue for asking, like, how could Volkanovski separate himself? So, towards the end of the first fight, Volkanovski started attacking, like, the inside trips. Like, he would draw the counters out and really bust out the wrestling. Um, Because one thing you can say about Holloway is Holloway is way weaker on the back foot once you get him there. Or despite... And you can pin him against the fence consistently. But... Holloway is a very good clinch fighter, and there are points where he equals Volkanovski there. But, like, Volkanovski, like, when he started looking for the inside trips, like, was able to get Holloway in, like, more controlled positions more often. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Volkanovski pressed the wrestling a lot more in this fight. Um, it's... But it's, um... It, it, it's gonna be tough, because, like, Holloway can still be caught on, like, exits and entries... But it's like, unless you can make Max off or make him think, that's just a huge, huge, like, thing to ask. So, it's kind of funny that, like, it, it Max does have, like, those physical kind of edges, but this is still a really, really hard fight for him. And, and it kind of demands Max do, like, more than he usually does, whereas Volkanovski kind of has to do his usual, 
but that's already in high demand for him. So it's a really, really intriguing matchup. Yeah, the approach to the to the approach to the clinch is very interesting because I would say Holloway is easily the more damaging fighter there. But but Volkanovski, if he gets the option to clinch uh, to put the threat of the wrestling, that plays exactly into his hands because he's more threats yes. that you gotta worry about. And that's the whole Volkanovski thing. He doesn't need to to complete a very solid takedown, but he just needs to put the idea in your mind. And even Holloway is not immune to that to those things, you know? Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I would say I would be very surprised if Volkanovski doesn't have like uh, an idea of wrestling earlier this time. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I would say Volkanovski is probably going to pressure a bit harder, push forward, because he do- probably doesn't want to kick uh, deal with the kicks again. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that would be big. But conversely, Max shouldn't forgo those kicks or, like, knee threats, period. Yeah. Like, uh, Max- but Holloway should put a lot of emphasis on on open space footwork and keep the center of the cage. I think that's very important for yes. Holloway. He wants to keep the center. Um, and he also like needs to needs to f- uh, use the kicks to to regain control of the jab as, as he did on the second fight. I think that was very important Wait, because Max? when the jab when the jab came back, uh, Holloway was uh, had a lot of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um yeah, it's just, th- there's almost, like, too much to cover here, just because, like, it really depends upon, like, you know, like, what's gonna work based upon the first two fights, so it's, like, why abandon those two things, but there's also, like, what else could be different, and it's like we're grasping at just, like, little things here or there, but I, I think we get the gist of it, like, basically for me, th- this fight is gonna come down to margins, like, if anything else from that second fight that taught me anything, it's gonna come down to margins, so... If either of these guys has slipped even a little bit, like physically or technically, yeah. then that could be a big deal. And so yeah, I like, wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we saw someone got hurt early this time because yeah. they they've shared so many minutes on the cage. Like the the chances are just only getting bigger of someone getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like Vol- Volkanovski isn't immortal, but he does have good recovery. But Holloway still decked him twice in the rematch. Ortega got Volk's attention a few times, like, especially late. Um, I don't think TKZ did anything, I don't remember. But, no. But Holloway himself has had to eat some absolutely insane shots from, like, Cater and, like, Rodriguez. Like, wh- one of the more underrated things about Rodriguez in that fight is that Holloway took some absolutely, ins- like, sickening damage to, like... He has, he has very big pop. He has very, like, very effortless pop on his punches, Rodriguez has. Yeah, and Holloway uh, took, like, insane damage at all three levels and just, like, still kept coming. Yeah, I think, oh, Volkanovski, if he if he gets, like, on his ideal punching range, he can hurt anyone. Like, you can tell that guy punches super hard. Uh, I think Holloway has been very good at uh, navigating the distance to not get hurt by, by Volkanovski's biggest punches. But... But I mean, Volkanovski can hurt anyone. He might not be like a knockout artist, but the guy carries big power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, it, it's also the... One one thing Hax has emphasized as well is Volkanovski is getting up there, there in age as well. That That's one thing margin-wise. But, like, th- this fight, if it isn't just margins, it's also, like, 
Ringcraft is a big deal, but it it's like both guys already recognize that in the rematch, so I don't really expect that to be too much of like a change. But yeah, I mean, this this promises to be very very special. Like in terms of high level fights, there's this has the potential to be the fight. So and. And the crazy thing about this is that if Holloway wins, we're probably going to see this again. I mean, technically, technically, most people are going to go like, well, he's actually 2-1, which, if we're being totally honest, he probably should have gotten the second fight, but that's an argument yeah, I mean, the other day. I mean, I haven't, I haven't rescored it. Uh, I scored it for Holloway, this, uh, the watching live. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, let's forget all of that. This is a great yeah. fight. Yeah, this is our like top top pound for pound talent. Don't yep. don't be fooled against about anyone else in MMA. These are the guys. These are, these are this the is guys. the this is the fight to make right now. Yep. Um I'm super excited. Like And honestly, like the the winner of this should be pound for pound number one. If you give a shit about that. If you give a I shit already have Volkanovsky number one, so exactly. yeah, this is for this is for number one spot, no questions asked for me. Yeah, like basically, if you if you don't agree with that, I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm you're just I mean, wrong. I mean, I what we've seen for Holloway, Holloway has like what like two super close fights with with this guy that is fucking great, and his other loss was against a super hard matchup against a bigger guy in Dustin Poirier. So, so what are we talking about? These guys are fucking great. Yep. Yeah. I mean, regardless of how this fight goes, like we're in for a treat and. The, these are two of the best fighters that are worth rooting for, and so I don't know what else to say. Um, it's impossible to pick this. Um, I am. Getting... This is this is for me. It's fifty fifty. I mean, completely, completely. So, well, who are you picking? I will take Max Holloway by a contentious uh, split decision. Okay, I have to take Volkanovski then. All right then. So let's move on to the yeah the, the to the non main event, but it's which, still a good fight. But yeah. <laughs> so I was so Israel Adesanya is fighting Jared Cannonier for uh, the one eighty five pound title, and I was surprised upon watching a little more footage that this one might be more interesting than meets the eye. Um, so I I, I I've already talked about Adesanya a lot. Adesanya is kind of an interesting like archetype for, like, MMA, because you could tell, like, so many of his tools translate so well to it, but then he is, like, these little gimmick things that either means he blows the other guy out, or he has, like, these weirdly frustrating moments of, like, having more competitive fights than he should, and I feel like I've kind of gotten some read on what the issue is, but my guess is I think Adesanya, uh, doesn't necessarily... Adesanya likes to pot shot. He likes to work as a sniper distance. If you rush in on Adesanya, you're probably going to get hurt. But if you are too passive at range, he's going to kick you apart or continue to pick at you unless you have like weird defensive habits or a golem creature like Yoel Romero. And he'll still find some ways to work with that. Um, the thing about Adesanya, though, is he's very... He, he's very great with his initiative... But if he doesn't feel confident with his distance, he he gets these weird habits. So, like, if he enters the pocket often behind his jab, 
you can often throw with him and catch him. Whitaker does this. Gastelum does this. Romero does this. And he kind of backs off a bit. But if you also recognize, okay, he's fainting a lot, and I need to faint back at him instead of reacting, he'll try to con- he'll concede to that a bit and kind of work with that. So it- it's very, very interesting because um, there's, like, these little holes with Adesanya, but he's good enough that, like, they aren't, like, overwhelming kind of holes. So I don't think Cannon. I'm jumping ahead, but I don't think Cannoneer is the guy to do that. But I, I think the thing about Adesanya is, like, how he comes across as a fighter is he's very comfortable to kind of take what's given to him and just accept like being a step ahead instead of like blowing them out unless he needs to. So I, I, I don't really, Adesanya is just very, very interesting to talk about. And why Cannoneer might be a little interesting here is Cannoneer kind of presents some weird philosophical question that Romero kind of had, but yeah. But from, like, a very different setting, whereas, like, Cannoneer's not an immortal golem creature, but he is a pretty terrifying hitter, and he's very, very patient at picking his spots, and he is kind of the quintessential spoiler in terms of catching guys off guard in this division when they least expect it. The thing about Cannoneer, though, is that he's very stiff with his defense. He's not really active with, like, throwaways. He's not really an active fainter, and he doesn't throw a lot in exchanges, but he is he is the guy that if you give him something, he's pretty good at like picking up on it and taking advantage of it. So that does present some interesting questions here, but at the same time you see like kind of like a, a lot of experience and like kind of a gap dif- difference against his opponent. So I, I don't know what what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think Canyonier uh, presents some interesting, some interesting stuff on this fight. I think uh, one thing that is like, I would count that Canyonier will come pretty prepared uh, to defend kicks on this one because he has a very like fundamental style, and it's very easy to add those those kind of things to to someone like him. I think he's kind of like adaptable from fight to fight. He he brings tools to fight. You know, he's a yeah. tactical fighter. And, and, and you know, like, Adesanya is way less effective when someone is, like, defending kicks. We saw that against uh, Jan Blachowicz. Um Adesanya will still have his jab on this one because he has a pretty a pretty decent, like, reach mm-hmm. advantage. And, and the height advantage, that's for sure. Um, but Canyonier is someone that will, will kick the legs with him. Mm-hmm. And... And it's someone that can compete in the power department of the leg kicks. A lot of fighters don't want to trade leg kick with Alessandra because he's so powerful with them. But Canyonier is brutal also. Uh, another interesting thing, as you said, like Canyonier is, is patient, but you cannot be too patient against Alessandra. So it will be interesting to see how he navigates that. He needs to have a, a steady amount of volume. He cannot get uh, he cannot let Alessandra do whatever he wants. Um, he needs, I would say he needs like, a slow pressure is fine, he just needs to throw here and there, especially mm-hmm. l- leg kicks, I would say, just trade leg kicks, um, defend the kicks, especially to the body, you need to defend to the body and to the head the kicks, and you neutralize a lot of that. Can you near, not like a, not like an educated lead hand, but a very stiff jabber. Mm-hmm. 
And if he can like find the range and put some jabs on Adesanya's face, that's something that also Easy doesn't like. We saw that against Blachovic. I mean, obviously Blachovic has that against uh, Whitaker too in the last. Yeah, fight. yeah, in the last fight, uh, Whitaker started closing the gap, doing that, uh, st- uh, finding the mark with the jab. Obviously, Whitaker a different kind of jabber than Canyonier because he's more of the blitzy style, and Canyonier is more of a stand my ground. And then also, like, we have, like, Canyonier is insanely strong in the clinch. So that would be, might be interesting to see. Like, Canyonier, obviously not a wrestler. But if he ends up on top somehow, I would trust him more than I trust another fighters because his fundamental jiu-jitsu is very solid. And the ground and pound is disgusting yeah. from Canyonier. Yeah. Uh, so obviously this is a very like uphill battle from him. The 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 stylistic matchup is very hard. It's it's like kind of the fight that Adesanya wants, but it comes with a lot of danger this time. Uh huh. Yeah, it's not like Vittori, whom Adesanya might have had an awkward time with, but it, most of it's because Vittori was relentless and unkillable. Here it's kind of like this guy is just offers enough massive physical threats that like. You have to kind of walk a tightrope. Yeah, Vittori is actually a pretty decent wrestler, but um, the Sanja could could work, uh, could like focus on the takedown defense because like he did not respect Vittori's hands, and, and like yeah, I mean Vittori for for as big and a good athlete that he is, he, he cannot punch. I mean. I know we saw him like hurt Hermanson, who has a very decent shin, but most of the time Vettori fails to hurt people with his hands because his mechanics are pretty awful, especially when punching combinations. That's a power. That's a problem that Jared Canyonier does not have. Mm-hmm. Jared Canyonier punches you, and that shit hurts. Yep, a hundred percent of the time. The the guy the dude, is terrifying. The dude, the dude one shot and dropped Gastelum. And like no, no one, no one does that. Like Honestly, who else had? Adesanya dropped Gasolan after like twenty minutes of punching him in the face. <laughs> yeah, it's like, or he had to time like this perfect counter where Gasolan was already out of position. But like, Kenanier did this like lightning vortex teleport move where he just shift, <laughs> shift pivot and then literally jabbed him. It was, it, the next second, Gasolan's just on the floor. Like, what the fuck just happened? And is this reverse age bullying going on? <laughs> uh, Another thing is that uh, Canyonier himself insanely durable. He's very like, tough. Like, you can hurt him, but, like, putting him out is very hard. Whitaker hurt him super bad, and he was okay, like, 20 seconds after and then the fact. Hurt, and then hurt Whitaker with that same damn shift pivot jab. It's ridiculous. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, like, wait, I mean, if if that? I if Alessandra has like an off night, he will find himself on his butt, like because yep. you cannot have an off night against Canyonier. Yeah. So I I do think like one comment I'll say on the kicks that I worry about Canyonier a little bit with is I don't really think Canyonier's defense with kicks is good, but he should one hundred percent not forgo kicking Adesanya at all. That I agree with. Um. Yeah, it, it's kind of, um, it, it'll be interesting to see if Cannoneer sees, like, Adesanya's, like, hard fight with Whitaker and then that Blockovitz fight, or Romero, and kind of goes, like, you know, I could make some of this work, but, um, who knows, he might just do what he usually does, and is like, 
Well, I'm a cult member fighting a weeb. I, this should probably work. <laughs> it's it's interesting also to see how Adesanya is going to to approach this one because I think Adesanya felt pretty safe against Whitaker. Like Whitaker needs uh, a lot of wind up to generate power, and I think Adesanya felt like pretty uh-huh. pretty safe himself navigating those waters. Um, Kenyon is more is closer to like Blachowicz and, and Romero in the sense that. He can generate power from everywhere, and 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 we saw that that made Asanya a lot more timid than he usually is on those fights. Yeah, and, and it's also like even um, although we were making fun of Gaslam earlier, it is worth saying Gaslam has done something that like very few people understood. And although you can point out Gaslam basically a mortal golem creature again, you could also say like Gaslam understood that like. When Adesanya is trying to do things with the frames to get out, you hit him during it. Yeah. Like, or if Adesanya tries to lead, like, sets up feints, you hit him during that. You don't back off that much, but you stay and in guess his who's, face. guess who's pretty good at hitting people trying to frame? Kenyon Yep. Just, just ask Derek Brunson how, how that went for him. Yep. <laughs> So, the, the only thing I don't really know here is kind of the wrestling setups for Cannoneer, but other than that, I think outside of maybe like a hair-raising moment or two, where Adesanya has to go, oh wait, fuck, I need to take this a little more seriously, this is kind of his fight to lose, but if anyone can put his lights on in a second, it's Cannoneer. Yeah, I mean, I mean for, for Adesanya, the approach should be the usual, like, just work the jab and the low kicks. And if he tries to get cute, like, just bring up the right hand. But why bother if it's not the case? Like, mm-hmm. Adesanya will probably, like... Canyonier is not winning any round if he's not hurting Adesanya bad. Yep. Like, Adesanya will have, like, control of the fight for most of the time. Unless Canyonier has, like, a, a secret weapon tactically that surprises Adesanya. Um, Adesanya will control this fight. Can you hear has a bunch of chance? He does for sure, a hundred percent. He all he always does, but he also has it on this one. Um, I still gotta pick Adesanya by unanimous decision on this one. I will, but do. but I will be very intrigued. Uh, I'm I'm completely fine with this fight. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, I will probably be a bit drained after watching Volkanovski versus Holloway three, but uh-huh. I would never miss this fight. To be honest, True. this is. This is cool. This is cool. I like it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so overall, I'd say this is one of the better, if not the best, like, top-to-bottom pay-per-view we've had this year. So. Very good pay-per-view, yeah. yeah I'm very I excited mean, about a lot of yeah. this. Main events are right. Co-main is going to rule. Oh, well, I mean, arguably the best fight in the sport. Strickland Pereira might be fun. Lawler Barbarina, potential war. Munoz O'Malley, interesting. Ing, uh, Riddell. The whole, the whole main card, the whole main card is like the main card, ten great. out of ten, yeah, yeah. And then on the prelims you have on on the prelims you have like Riddell versus Turner, um, Cerrone versus Miller too might be fun. Um, Gary Green at least poses interesting questions. Yeah, t- t- uh, t- I don't care really about Tavares versus Duplessis as a as a mini as a mini well, as a meaningful fight, well, but it's you, going to be fun. Like I hate Duplessis, but this fight is going to deliver on I the would, action side. I'm pretty sure. I I would like to point out that if Fenyo says he never cares about a fight, that probably means I don't either. <laughs> I mean, it's not important, but it's going to be fun. I, I'm not going to complain about watching uh-huh. it. True. I mean, 
I really hope Tavares like knocks out Duplessis, that would rule. <laughs> <laughs> and also like Uriah Hall versus Andrew Muniz is like a very intriguing fight. Uh-huh. Even even if the stakes are not the biggest. I mean for, for Muniz kinda is. Like like Muniz would be super well positioned on the division if he if he wins this one. Hmm. And then like 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 the two girls fight on this card are not important. They're very well matched, so I'm yes. not going to complain about anything. All right. I already did complain about several things, so I think... <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot to complain, but overall, as a card, this is very this is, good. This, this is a very, very good card. I'm happy with it. The main card, well, the t- top six are basically must-watch at this point, so we'll look forward to seeing that, I guess. I got nothing else to say for those who tuned into all this. Mostly for the Volkanovski Holloway breakdown, where we somehow meandered our way through picking one guy off of a whim. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, if you survived how long this took, uh, thank you as and for listening. Uh, we always appreciate your all support. Uh, you follow both of us on Twitter. I'm at typewriting da, um, and then Fenyo is at Phenox Sky. Or is it Fen Yo X yeah. guy? I don't remember. Um, ah, it doesn't matter. People you'll, people you'll know how us. to spell it. So. You'll find <laughs> us. Um, if you want to join our Discord, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Minimum is three dollars, and it can help uh, pay some bills for people, mostly Fenyo and Iggy. Um, and then like you can talk to me about like writing more articles, even though I'm exhausted and the only one writing articles for that matter. But um. Anyways, always appreciate your all support. I got nothing else to plug. Um, if you want more thoughts on Volkanovski Holloway, just follow me or anything I write. I'll probably end up being the guy to write the third fight article anyways because I'm insane. I got nothing else to say. Fenio? No, we're good. Um, I'll talk about after this event, probably with Christian, so watch out for that. And Thank you for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this fight as much as we do because this event is very good. They're not always this good, so yeah. So make sure you enjoy this one because it's not it's not usually like this. That's true. We were in a good mood compared to usual, which well, actually, uh, he was in a good mood. I'm never in a good mood. <laughs> All right. See y'all later. Goodbye.